In the Holy Roman Empire, church and state didn't always see eye to eye. So when the Landgrave of Thuringia had a beef with the Archbishop of Mainz, Emperor Henry VI called them into a room with a group of nobles to settle things, except the floor of that room collapsed and everyone fell into a giant pool of shit. Which makes Annie Rara to wonder... Why, 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 why is this not a movie? Hello and welcome to Why It's Not a Movie, the podcast where we look at a moment in history or a book or a story we can rip from the headlines and ask Hollywood why no one's ever put it onto the big screen. I'm Mike Vega, author and regular contributor to the AV Club, and joining me this week is Annie Rarida, the mind behind the Instagram slash Twitter slash TikTok account, Depths of Wikipedia, and the website depthsofwikipedia.com, in which she explores odd Wikipedia pages. As my AV Club column, Wiki Wormhole, does exactly the same thing, I've long thought of us as kindred spirits, and I'm delighted to have Annie on the show. So tell us about the Erfurt latrine disaster and why it needs to be made into a movie. Absolutely. Thanks for the introduction. So first of all, I should say that there have been many latrine disasters in history. A latrine is a bathroom with connotations of the army or camping. Um, I know that I've witnessed a few latrine disasters, but never any that have made quite a splash as the Erfurt latrine disaster. Um, and we're still talking about it 800 years later. Well, usually they um, involve like a festival concert, not you know, the, the high nobility of the Holy Roman Empire. Right, exactly. That's, that's what you would think. But no, this one, this one was even crazier. So to set the scene, we're in central Germany in what was once Thuringia. And at this point, it's part of the Holy Roman Empire. But it should be said that medieval Germany, just like medieval England and medieval France, is at this point just a consolidation of a huge conglomerate of smaller tribes and nations. The year that it happened was 1184. And it's between 1000 and 1200 that there's a lack of strong kings. Um, feudalism has spread and the monarchy is not able to control it. So that kind of leads us into our story. We have a land dispute and the way that it's going to be solved is they're going to meet before the king of Germany. So the land dispute is between two noblemen named Louis and Conrad and historical documents don't give a great reason or background for the land dispute. One person surmised that one was building a castle on land that may not have been his own, but whatever the case, it's been a long time. They can't settle it. And so they're going to meet before the king in the presence of many noblemen. So they scheduled the day to be July 25, and they scheduled the meeting place to be in Erfurt, which is the biggest city in Thuringia. And it works out well because the king, Henry VI, is on his way to Poland and can make a stop to join the proceedings. And so the, the place that they're going to do this is at the uh, St. Peter Monastery in Erfurt. And it's a very large monastery, so large that it has a, just a massive, a massive latrine, <laughs> which is going to play a very important role in the rest of the story. At the time, I did a little research into medieval toilets, and it seemed like in many castles, the toilet would kind of protrude from the rest of the building. You would have this little alcove, which is your toilet, and then the excrement drops down. But, it, but in, in fact, there were, even, there were even cases of assassinations happening because someone would climb up into that like through the toilet and then surprised like the king when he's sitting on the throne. You're kidding. Yeah, I've, I've seen a couple of stories of that. Oh and I've God. actually been in, uh, my wife's from Ireland and we've you know kind of gone around the country a little bit over the years and seen actual medieval castles. In her hometown, there's a, there's a castle from the 1100s. And some of them you can actually see where this protrudes uh -huh. and you'd basically just kind of poop out a window on the floor and it would drop <laughs> down. Uh -huh. But I'm, I'm curious about this latrine, you, you may know this, this seems to have been built under the monastery because, you know, traditionally an outhouse, you dig a hole, you put the outhouse over it, eventually the hole fills up, and then you just move the outhouse, like you dig a new hole and move the outhouse. I don't know how that works with an entire church. 
Right. I, I, so I don't know if this was standard at the time or not, but they built this underneath a portion of this monastery, the St. Peter's church is a big pit with human excrement and someone probably a poor page boy has to clean it out every now and then or altar boy. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe they just go through and shovel them. Yeah. Yeah. So that was what was supposed to be done. Sources made note that it had not been cleaned in a long time. It was due to be cleaned at the time of this great event. So, so it's July 25th. We have our two people settling the land dispute. We have Conrad and Louis view, and then we have the king to view it. And then they also invited, this is what surprised me, over a hundred other noblemen to be witnesses to view the proceedings. This is what they're all here for. I just want to check for a second to think about you have a hundred people in July packed into a room with a gigantic pile of excrement under the floorboards, basically. Like, imagine the stench. We've gotten into some past episodes. It's just history must have smelled so badly. So bad. They're so sweaty. I, I imagine that they're, like, carrying swords, do you think? It's probably <laughs> a lot of them, yeah. Even like even if it's just sweaty, ceremonial. They... Sweaty men and swords, and it smells like excrement. And they all probably, they you know, 100 people, they all came on horses that are all crapping outside. Maybe they're, yeah, just... There was just shit, there was just shit everywhere before, like, I don't know, 1920. Even what you were saying about people that would rob the king by climbing through the toilet, that's disgusting. But But I kind of feel like people were just throwing their, like, you know, going into a bucket and dumping it out in the street if you were in in a city. So it probably wasn't that worse than, like, walking through London. Like, you came up with a previous episode that, like, in Shakespeare's time, the Thames was just an open sewer. It was just, like, this river of shit (laughs) flowing through the middle of London. Maybe they're like all sitting above this rotting cesspool and it doesn't even smell that weird for them. Oh, I know. They're just used to it. It's fine. I'm, I'm just going to come through a toilet to kill the king because <laughs> Let the proceedings it, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't smell any worse in my backyard. Let's face it. <laughs> Gross. So anyway, oh, it should be, it should be said there's, there's the cesspool, quite literally a cesspool. Um, and then there's the room above it, a story above it, which is the latrine. And it, it's where you, it's got the hole. Just yeah, yeah. The cesspool. And then above that room is the meeting room. So they're filing up all the way up to the meeting room. We have, you know, a hundred noblemen. The proceedings have not even begun. People are simply filing in probably with their swords. Maybe they're jumping, getting excited, gesticulating wildly. And (laughs) maybe bad engineering, maybe rotting floorboards, but it collapses. And then it collapses again. And then over a hundred noblemen are swimming in this pile of shit i think it can be said that this is the number one number two disaster (laughs) ever (laughs) and it's crazy there's a quote on wikipedia it's hard to say for sure whether the rich nobleman who died in the airfront latrine disaster had been killed by the fall itself or by being suffocated by a pool of the filth they fell into. The other thing that we're not even talking about is the infection risk here. Oh, sure. Yeah. So anyway, these people are swimming in this cesspool. And it says about 60 people died. 60 people died. Imagine 60 noblemen dying. Oh, yeah. I'm just just reading up the list from... From Wikipedia, the six people included Count Frederick of Abenberg, Count Henry of Thuringia, Count Gosmar of Hesse, Count Friedrich of Kirkberg, and Burchard of Wartburg. It's not clear what his title was. Um, <laughs> it doesn't they, mean a lot to me, but they sound very important. <laughs> yeah, but the king was spared because he had like the place of honor. 
and he was up against a wall on one end of the room. And I think the perimeter probably had a stone floor and there was timber going across. So he was on the stone part of the floor. So the king is just sitting here like commanding his subjects and then they all just drop and he's <laughs> yeah, sort of sitting there alone. Bothered. He's just making a stop on his way to Poland. Because and... 60 people died, which means 40 people survived Crazy. and had to climb out of this latrine. Crazy. And I have one source saying that, um, so two people that are defending, I mean, are settling the dispute, excuse me, are Conrad and Louis. Both of them actually survived. One fell in, the other held on for his dear life on a metal window rod situation oh yeah okay um, so good for them but <laughs> yeah imagine that honestly of all the ways to die i think this is a nightmare scenario you drown in shit <laughs> oh i know surrounded by and also you're a nobleman you're thinking yeah you know if, if whoever's gonna drown in shit in the middle Ages, you're low on the list <laughs> the dishonor um yeah exactly so the, the one of the craziest things about the aftermath is that there is quite literally not not a speck of information on the land dispute because <laughs> there were greater things to worry about yeah i feel like that gets forgotten the kingdom of germany <laughs> i'm kind of surprised there's as much information we have on the latrine disaster itself because i would think everybody involved would be like what happened there nothing shut up <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to talk about it the worst day of my life or that they were like eh, it's 1184 this stuff happens all the time yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, and Conrad and Louis maybe saw that and were like, you know what? It's not. <laughs> yeah, maybe we do. <laughs> we can find a compromise. <laughs> Let's bygones be got. There's more important things in life. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the major event. Um, Henry the Sixth, the king who you know happened to stop to oversee this. So at the time, he was the king of Germany, which was separate from the Holy Roman Empire. But he actually went on to become a Holy Roman Emperor. I mean, history would have been quite different if he had <laughs> fallen into the shithole. Oh, that's true, but, yeah. But And somehow he comes out yeah. smelling like a rose. Yeah. So, so that is it. That is the Erfurt Latrine disaster. So this is this is a hell of a story. The only thing I've been thinking about is how do you make this new movie that's entirely built around this one incident? Both in terms of like how do you pad out the rest of the running time, but also in terms of the tone, because you can make this a ridiculous comedy going all the way through. But I think it would almost kind of be funnier in a way to do it as a very straight period piece and focus it on this land dispute as if it's a real, you know, serious thing. And then suddenly, literally and figuratively, the bottom falls out. (laughs) (laughs) And you've got all these people swimming in shit and it just just becomes this this absurd comedy. Because then, like, the aftermath has to be pretty ridiculous, too. Yeah. The monks at this monastery are like, oops. (laughs) And, you know, like, the surviving... The surviving nobles kind of have to sort out, like, you know, the whole of Germany kind of has to deal with like, oh, hey, half our nobility like fell yeah. in the toilet and died. Yeah, I feel like I, well, I just like the idea of really building up the conflict too between Conrad and Louis, because we don't even know. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't really tell us very much about these people other well, than that. The, um, Conrad the, was an archbishop um, and, and he went on to be a cardinal of the Roman Catholic Church. Well, that's, that's part of it that makes this sort of funnier to me. That um, you know, Archbishop Conrad of Mainz, he was about 64 in 1184. Like, this is an older, very distinguished, you know, high-ranking member of the clergy. So you couldn't ask for more perfect, like, stiff upper lip to get a pie in the face than that. And then Louis Louis III, Landgrave of Thuringia. And I've never heard of the Landgrave. And I'm very curious what that title entails. You know, he's a younger man. Maybe he's around 33. Maybe he's a little more hot-headed mm-hmm. and sort of provoking this thing. But also against this... Archbishop twice his age, probably trying very hard to be taken seriously and look 
serious and then ends up covered in shit. Yeah. <laughs> the other interesting detail that struck me, because I was just, I just I look up ages to see what actors are gonna be right people to play this. And Henry the Sixth was uh, 19. Wow, I did not <gasps> Yeah. Whoa, I didn't put that together. <laughs> and I had to double check because sometimes they sometimes they'll list the reign and not the age. He was born in eleven sixty-five. He was crowned king of Germany in eleven sixty-nine. So when he was four, he became king. Wow. So at 19, he's a seasoned monarch. He's been king for 15 years, but he's also a kid yeah. who is overseeing this thing. I picture him as being so unbothered. He's just making a stop on the way to Poland. I just need to settle this dispute. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is just a, this is stone just an alcove, like watch it go down and leave. <laughs> um, yeah, this is like when a presidential campaign has to make like a bus stop in a small town to like <laughs> do a photo op at the diner. And they're like, okay. Yeah, and the other thing is like, a few years after this, it's I, I believe it's six years after this happens, there's the third crusade. And so that's a probably bigger deal for him. I don't know if that was brewing at this point. Yeah, I think but, he fought in the crusade and I think one of one of the two feuding nobles did too. So they clearly got out of this intact and you know went on to live their lives, but I feel like you'd have to be haunted by this for a long time. Oh, how could you not be? Imagine if that happened today. Like it's a I don't know, a certain <laughs> meeting of Congress. Yeah, somehow they just built a giant sewer <laughs> under the under the Capitol building. And 60 people died. Oh god. God, can you imagine? It'd make quite the splash. Guy in a Viking helmet trying to break in isn't the isn't the craziest thing that's happened to an assemblage of powerful people. Right. <laughs> right. So uh, do you have any ideas of who should direct this thing? And kind of what what tone they should take or what tack? I didn't come with a with a specific director in mind, but I love the idea of really milking the comedy out of it without being too obvious. I would love to put in some actors who have traditionally done comedies, but... That's kind of the big choice you have for tone, is do you want to load this up with comedic actors and make it ridiculous from start to finish? Or the other, I think, route you could take is load it up with kind of serious actors who do these kind of period dramas and have this very serious at the onset and then have this ridiculous thing happen to them. Like one of my thoughts was Peter Kaminsky directed Wolf Hall, which was set in the reign of Henry VIII, was basically about the rise of one of his advisors, Thomas Cromwell, who's played by Mark Rylance, who is a like very serious, very respected Shakespearean actor. He would not do film or television for like most of his life. He's now, I think in his early 60s. And he was in this and he was in Dunkirk, as the boat pilot who goes out to rescue people. So just like capital A serious actor. Wow. And, you know, would be kind of funny seeing him playing this archbishop who ends up landing in a giant pool of shit. Well, but it depends funny. if you want to do that bait and switch with the tone, but then you're kind of asking people to sit through. I don't know how you market that. You either market it as a serious movie and don't tell anybody the surprise, uh-huh. or you do a little bit of setup and then get into it immediately. So maybe it, is, maybe it is better to just put all these ridiculous comic actors into it. Have it be a comedy from start to finish. What if you did him as the archbishop and the rest are like Seth Rogen as he's in Zari? Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you do want somebody, um, I think especially as the archbishop, you want somebody very serious. Because my other my other name for the archbishop was, um, once I looked at Wolf Hall, I was looking down the cast list. Because Mark Gaddis is also on that show, who he was Mycroft Holmes on Sherlock, and he co-created that show. And he, like, Mycroft on that show, he plays him as very repressed and serious and icy and unemotional and kind of above it all. But Gaddis got to start with a sketch comedy show, The League of Gentlemen, and has a comedy background. And so I think he could dive in, so to speak, and play the comedic elements, but mm-hmm. at the onset, be this very sort of stern, serious figure. 
I like that. I like the idea of him as the archbishop coming in like so like the oldest one there so sure he's going to win the dispute and then finding out he's among these like yeah scrappy like young men (laughs) (laughs) the 19 year old officiant and the what like young 33 year old um, that is also one thing if we're getting into casting that um you know we on the show we usually try to have an eye towards a diverse casting which hollywood is still a little behind on but this is medieval germany it's not gonna be a very diverse cast and i don't know that there are any women in the story it's not to say we can't add them. Sure, sure. But like, as far as the people that we know were there, it's German nobility. So it's a, it's a bunch of like, the, the, not that there wouldn't be like, you know, families traveling with all these people. And yeah. I love the idea of really like having a lot of build up. you know, maybe some like affairs, maybe like someone um, has been lusting over his friend's wife and then he dies in the, the, the latrine disaster and he ends with that, something like that. It, it only just hit me, you could... Um, I don't know, you could throw kids into here who were just like, they got dragged to this monastery. These noblemen are talking about boring nobleman grown-up stuff. And they try some sort of prank or something that goes horribly, horribly wrong. And we've made uh-huh. up an ex- explanation for why this happens. Oh, wow. That would be funny. Because, yeah, we, we don't, I mean, we have no idea. His, his, the records are very murky. I mean, I, th- I kind of think putting 100 people in a room with a wood floor, <laughs> like there isn't a great mystery. Especially if it's, you know, if it's a monastery... I would imagine it's usually pretty sparsely populated. There's probably a couple of people like kneeling and praying. When if there's a, you know there's a, there's a dispute, there's a big mass of people. You might have people like pounding on the floor and raising their voices, and you know maybe there's some kind of commotion that sets it off. That's true. This is completely. I don't know how we would um, work this out into the casting. This might be kind of an oddball comment, but I just am obsessed with the idea of seeing none other than Drake get back into acting. I feel like he. <laughs> could really occupy like that like lofty aristocrat character um and just be absolutely crazy because he i don't think he's seriously acted since his debut on degrassi when he played the the, whatever the character in the wheelchair yeah yeah Um, yeah. i I don't know maybe he could be like a side character a nobleman and there were like (laughs) i just i was just thinking about that recently and you know medieval year wasn't wasn't uh blindingly white because it came from the roman empire which had you know, territory in Africa and the Middle East, and we're trading with people all over the world. So there were people back and forth. So it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that there was a German nobleman who looked like Drake. But I would like to get him acting again. And, and how, how awesome would it be if, if his re-entrance into the world of acting was for this? <laughs> as, a, as a medieval that. German nobleman who falls yeah, into a pile exactly, of shit, of course. Exactly. Honestly, it's, it's the role he was born to play. Be, it's hard because like, he's 34 right now. So I feel like he's too old to be to be our 19 year old king but we have lots of other options for that i don't the first one that comes to mind is timothy chalamet who's actually 25 but yeah but he was actually the first person on my list he 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 plays 19 year olds really well yeah in fact i think i've had to make this joke more than once because he's come up a few times in the show but i don't know how we pry him away from being in every other movie right well we can worry about that later but you know as somebody who is like a young king who's been king for a long time and is kind of regal and knows what he's doing but is also a kid in these room full of much older people trying to command attention like yeah he, he could knock out of the park he's exactly the right person if if you wanted somebody a little bit younger i also had asa butterfield who was in ender's game and hugo okay. and just as kind of another he's 23 now but he's another like i still think of him as a teenage yeah actor who looks the part and then the running gag the running joke in the show is that if i don't know young actors i just go to the cast of stranger things <laughs> because they're all still like actually teenagers yeah that's uh, true it's funny i was trying to think of young actors and looked at jacob tremblay and he's still only like 14 wow he's been in all this stuff he's been in everything that's great. yeah 
gosh, that's crazy. And it's kind of the same thing with Strange Things, like Millie Bobby Brown is like 16 yeah. or so. And she's been... My claim to fame for a few years was that I was only two degrees of separation away from her because she was dating my best friend's cousin. Really? Growing up. So yeah, so that was kind of cool when she was on Stranger Things. But anyway, that's completely beside the point. And yeah, yeah. You're welcome to cut that. <laughs> I, I, I like I like the idea of Timothy Chalamet. I'm sure we can convince him to do it. Yeah, exactly. Smirk on his face. I mean, face movie where he falls into a pool of shit. Who wouldn't? Who would say no to that? Right. I can already see this like smirk on his face as he's sitting in this like stone <laughs> alcove and the the oh, exactly yeah <laughs> like he would just underplay that so beautifully Are falling to their deaths. <laughs> And for, for the Archbishop, I really thought it was about serious actors. And I kind of came into this thinking about, like, who who are these dramatic actors who do period pieces? But for Louis III, uh, Landgrave of Thuringia, um, I was just looking for actors around that age. He was about 33 and 1184. And I came with somebody who works no matter what your tone is, which is Tom Hiddleston. Oh, that would work. That would Because he work. can do silly. He can do serious. He can do regal. He's the right age. And then my other name there, and again, he was also in Wolf Hall. And I'm, I'm just kind of... Not so much skimping on research as I saw that one cast list. I was like, "Oh, everybody in here, you could just you could just use the cast of this and just have them all fall into a pool of uh, into a latrine." But Thomas Brody Sangster, who he's done period or sort of periodish stuff because he's been Wolf Hall, he was Jojen Reed in Game of Thrones, he's been on Doctor Who, he was in the Maze Runner movies. But no matter what he does in his adult for the rest of his life, he's only going to remember it as Ferb from Phineas and Ferb, and <laughs> the kid who plays the drums in the end of Love, Love Actually. <laughs> Not a bad legacy. So I had on my list, I feel like I went for more, a more comedic. Oh no, go for it. Cause... Okay, so for, for Louis, I was thinking potentially Seth Rogen. I was thinking also could be funny, Aziz Ansari. I already did say that. I just think they would be really funny. They would, they would bring a good energy to the role as like so desperately wanting to win the land dispute. And I think it would be especially funny and interesting if Conrad, this archbishop that they have to settle the dispute with, is, you're right, someone that's so aristocratic and above it all. And so who I had in my head was Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, yeah. I thought that could be, I thought that could be really funny as a pairing. And so, yeah, it's like scrappy Louis thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win, I'm going to win. And then um, Benedict is just so much above all of that. And I think I like your approach better to keep one very serious, you know, actor to be the straight man in all this, but then just load up the rest of it with comedy because I think, I don't know, I was kind of amused by the idea of using these serious actors who are in period, you know, having a period drama and then have this one incident. That's not enough to hang a whole movie on. You kind of want it to be a comedy all the way through and you want to have sort of smaller mishaps leading up to this. Mm-hmm. So I think it is good. And as far as like Aziz Ansari, again, there probably weren't a ton of like, you know, South Asian men in medieval Germany, but I almost kind of like just lampshading just use like a diverse crew of like comedic actors who are not believable as German nobles at all. <laughs> and just lampshade like, Hey, this is a comedy. We're having fun here. Like you don't picture Seth Rogen when you picture no. the, the land group of Thuringia, but that's kind of what makes the joke, you know, sale. And, and I feel like what would come out of that casting and it really matches with the story is just the theme of irreverency that this would happen to, <laughs> to this noble group. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense to have a, cast it's not quite matching what you would exactly see to me at least well there was um i'm drawing a blank in the name heath ledger when he was young was in oh a knight's tale 
which was it wasn't exactly a spoof it was a it was a movie set in like you know medieval england where he's in this like a young aspiring knight who's trying to you know win a lady and all this stuff but the soundtrack was from like the 80s like he's in the jousting tournament and they're all chanting we like we will rock you in the in the stands and they just very blatantly made it look we know it's not the 1300s we're just, we're making a movie hey it's a let's have fun it's a movie or sofia coppola's uh, marie antoinette movie mm-hmm. that had a very modern soundtrack you know had a very modern sensibility to it you know like this is already this is an established thing you can do this as a comedy and have it ostensibly set in 1184 but kind of play it like a stoner movie with seth rogan and they're these you know sort of screw-ups maybe the thing that uh sort of sets us off is like the monks who run the monastery are just a bunch of stoners who don't know anything about structural integrity and oh, I love that. You know, I don't plan this out idea. and <laughs> and they're like, oh no, a game of darts gone wrong underneath the <laughs> yeah, exactly or something like or somebody you know somebody has a fight and they knock you know, they knock somebody into one of the pillars that's holding up the roof. Yeah, or down. it could be there's there's so many options for things that are going to knock down the building. I'm thinking of this like it's all these noble people meeting up for the first time maybe in a while. Maybe there's just like I don't know, some like quiet hookup in a back room that gets really Oh. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> oh, well where where else would you go? You go you go down a floor, sneak into the bathroom. Exactly. No, exactly. Like one, maybe one person like snuck away from the proceedings because they see this person they haven't seen in so long, and then yeah, and then maybe somebody else catches them. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and like start pounding on the walls. How could you do this? How could you do this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then they knock everything down. That's perfect. <laughs> oh, I love that idea. I love that idea. Right, our script, our script is coming together. I totally can see it now. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, like a, like a cheating duchess like ruins the. Yeah, yeah. That was the, a thing that I've been thinking about actually during quarantine, like how you carried out any kind of relationship or affair or anything back then when travel time was so slow, communication was slow to bordering on non-existent. One thing I thought from the very beginning of this past year is as rough as this is for a lot of people, even above and beyond the, you know, half a month people who have died, but like just in terms of keeping our sanity and trying to connect with people. One reason I love doing this show is I just get to talk to creative people every week and kind of have conversations with people outside of my like house in my immediate neighborhood. But I keep thinking about what if this had happened in the eighties, you know, when you just talk to people on the telephone, like how would you work from home? How would you do any of this stuff? But then I go back and think about the 1300s, like, or even not even that far back. Like, you know, my, my ancestors came over from Ireland and Scotland in the 1700s and it was a one-way trip and you never went back and you never heard from anybody again. You know, maybe you can send a letter overseas, you know, even by the time the other side of the family came over in the thirties, you know, you could send a telegram or something. It wasn't quite so such a one-way thing. Yeah, so there were people who hadn't seen each other and might never see each other again. Yeah. I don't know how relevant that is to their movie. It just... No, that's true. And when you say it'd be, quote-unquote, hard to have an affair with so little communication, so much travel, this is, I think there's... I, you could also argue that it'd be very easy to keep keep it a secret. Oh, that's true, too. Yeah. I don't know. Because if you just... I feel, like back, I feel like back then they weren't really that loyal, right? Like, I feel like I hear so many more stories of like polygamy and just kind of like free love before it was even free love. Oh, especially with the nobility, you were just married to somebody to like arrange a political alliance. Right. Right. It doesn't so, mean anything. Yeah. Like you might've, you might've, you know, had the hots for somebody before, after, and during. Yeah. Oh, that, maybe it wasn't like, you know, anger after discovering, maybe it was like an, like a rousing orgy. <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> oh yeah, maybe that's it. like the nobles are meeting upstairs and the like whoever else, you know, their their uh, retinue, whoever else is with them, they're like, okay, the the boss is busy. Let's go downstairs. And see right, there's like this one ringleader, like, what if we don't go up to the proceedings? What if we... <laughs> it's almost like the cliche the from screen. like... The... <laughs> it's almost like the, the cliche from the teen movie where like the party gets super wild and somebody like crashes to the floor of the suburban house and it's, and it's like, oh, my parents are going to kill us. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh no, we're gonna we're gonna kill sixty of the most important people in the kingdom of Germany. <laughs> uh, although I guess they would kind of get justice because if they're below, beneath, yeah, it falls on them. They're not the ones. They're they're these like old like sweaty old men with their swords are definitely gonna fall right on top of them. Yeah, yeah. and then I think you end with just a very blackly comic funeral. Yeah, <laughs> where I don't know, you know, the priest is trying to like euphemize. The uh, messy oh end that we came to. Yeah we're, yeah, we're in a monastery. I wonder, like, the prayers going up. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of what kind of proceedings would go on? Yeah, I feel like we could cast some fun monks too. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, like you were saying, it'd be funny if the monks were like stoners, and it would also be funny if the monks were like really eager to please. Like, we really want to like make this a good, a good event. Like. Here you go, make your way upstairs, a beautiful meeting room. And then, oh, because yeah, they don't have visitors very often. That's got to be a big deal. Right. And then they're mortified when they, <laughs> they're literally so mortified when everyone dies because of their rotten wood. I don't know. You sort of almost want the whole like Judd Apatow adjacent gang. If you're going to put Seth Rogen in it, like throw in like, I don't know, Jonah Hill and Dave Franco and Michael yeah. Sarah. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, just, maybe, like, just... Like monks. Maybe the monks, like, Maybe maybe one of the noblemen is an ex-monk and he sees his old buddies and they kind of like shoot the shit. Yeah, I'm almost thinking like your idea is just there'd be an orgy at a party down there. Um, <laughs> you know, like the monks have been growing the good weed. Yeah, and the, the monks must be, there must be some like deviant monks that really want to get in on the action. Well, if you, I mean, really historically, like wine was really invented by monks. Wow. Because they had like, they had time on their hands. They could wait for things to ferment. Nice. One of the most classic, like, funny Wikipedia pages is the big list, list of sexually active popes. I know that's not monks, but... Um, no, it's a long, it's a long list. I, I, yeah, I've hit, a very I've, long list. Shockingly long list. <laughs> I was going to say I've hit that on... That's probably the wrong turn of phrase to use, but um, I've gone to that list more than once with uh, my Wikipedia column on AV Club. And in fact, there was one pope who died in the act. Whoa! Yeah. No, wait, because I remember there was one that really stuck out to me because it was unclear whether he died by, there were the two options for his death were just both so, so absurd. The first one was quote unquote, like died by eating melon or, or maybe it was like indigestion from eating melon. Something about melon, which you're like, why this is a Pope? Okay, whatever. And the other option was died by being sodomized by a page. It's like, oh my oh. gosh, <laughs> I guess those are the only two ways to go. <laughs> well, eating down like rotten fruit, I can see getting an infection and there's nothing you can do back then. That's true. I forget which one, but we had a, an early president died from eating like too many sour cherries at a party. You know, like the cherries had gone off and he just kept eating them and he got sick. Oh my gosh. I didn't even realize you could die from that. Back, back in the day, you could die from anything. Rotten cherries? Oh my gosh, I'm going to be more careful. Like, it's <laughs> fruit in my fridge. <laughs> like, I think four different presidents, including George Washington, were killed by their doctors. Back then, like, if whatever didn't kill you, your doctors would just come along and kill you. The remedy for everything was bleeding people from, like, leeches and medieval attempts to, like, they would just open a vein to get all the bad <laughs> stuff out. And they would often bleed the patient to death. That's how George Washington died. He got pneumonia, and they were like, you know what would help? 
if you didn't have as much blood. I actually visited Washington's Washington's home. Um, oh yeah, Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon, that's the name. And I was at this at this point, my dad. So my dad was a middle school history teacher for his career. Oh yeah, okay. And so he would drag the children to all these historical places. So I've been to so many like boyhood homes of presidents or whatever. Oh, of course, and, yeah. Um, and my dad's always so happy to be there taking pictures of all the signs. And then the rest of us are kind of dragged along. But I do vividly remember um, hearing about Washington's death and how his doctor came and bled him out. And um, and then they let his body sit in the open in the house for a week. For, for a oh, week. Man. And, and this is in Virginia. In Virginia. And I don't know what the weather was, but if it were summer, that would be really problematic. But anyway, yeah, just the thought of like a... I feel like a corpse can rot probably a lot in a week. <laughs> oh, I, would, I, I yeah, I don't know firsthand, but I would imagine. Like seven days post mortem, our like president is just lying there. I don't know. It was just it was one of those images from childhood that. Oh, I'm sure that stayed with you. Away, like <laughs> white faced at Mount Vernon, and my dad really into it, and I just wanted to just absolutely die. <laughs> <laughs> all right, between the two of us, we could spend all night looking at Wikipedia. Yo, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything else you want to say? All I can think of is I just would hate to see this movie go by without any strong female characters. So I would love for there to be some some drama going on maybe outside. You, you know, we also, we, we didn't talk about this. Could we have a queen? Could we have like a like a noble woman? Catherine oh. Hahn? Could we have Catherine Hahn? Oh my God, I think we have Like to. a powerful woman who's going to like grace the people with her presence. Oh yeah, that's great. Because there's also so much potential for comedy in her wanting to, you know, be this aristocratic queen and show off and everybody end up falling into a pile of shit. Yeah, definitely. I really like the idea of there being, I don't even oh, know. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think yeah. with more actresses because, like, Wikipedia just lists a couple of male figures in this. But if we are having this be sort of everybody else in attendance, especially if you have people who aren't necessarily involved in the negotiations, you know, partying downstairs, doing something else, sort of causing this disaster, then there's plenty of room to put women you know, at all levels, like nobility and servants. And and also that's probably a big deal for the monks if women show up at their ah. door. Oh my gosh, exactly. So maybe the, maybe that's maybe that's where your orgy comes from. These monks have been really pent up and, rep- <laughs> and repressed and now they get to cut loose because... I, you know who I lo- would love to be like the ringleader of, of the orgy? I would love for it to be Aubrey Plaza. Oh yeah. I would love for her to, to like gesture to a monk. And then maybe they enter the latrine while something else is going down between some, some noble people who haven't seen each other in 20 years. They're reigniting something. And it all just, that it just all mixes. And, and like, who better to play, like, sexy troublemaker? Yeah, exactly. And even within that, she's got so much range because she was kind of the, like, sarcastic and different sexy troublemaker on Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. And then completely different character on, uh, on Legion. She just plays everything to the hilt and she's so entertaining to watch. You know, it's just so well, it's just that like the goth behavior and the deadpan comedy. And she can do so much more too, but she's just- Yeah, so yeah, yeah. But in this in particular, I could just see her as being somebody who's just so unimpressed with all this nobility and all the, <laughs> yeah. pom- all the pomp. Unbothered. And- yeah. And then just, just horny for a Yeah, it just wants to, get the, wants to get the party started. <laughs> yeah, do you, think I, do you think I can hook up with a monk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just this has been on my list for a what long are the time. Odds? What are the what are the odds that I fuck a monk? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just running down the cardinal sins and <laughs> <laughs> that's about all I have. Right. Yeah, I think that's about it. Um, all my ideas. 
I like the idea of it ending with the aftermath of this and a, a funeral that's trying really hard to be somber when yeah. the cause of death is just hanging over this. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, maybe you have some of the surviving monks, like now they got to clean up all this mess. Yeah, truly. <laughs> the church still exists. They, they clearly cleaned it up. Oh, wait, wow. Wait. You could film this on location. Oh my God. Oh wait, it's, it's in a room of the Church of St. Peter, the Petersburg Citadel. We're going back to Wikipedia because that's what we do. And uh, there's, a, there's a photo of it. It's still there. In the Cold War, the former lower barracks building housed the minister of the Stasi record agency. The Stasi was like the East German secret police. It was occupied by Napoleon. There's a, there's a lot of history to this building. And yet it can never not be the place where the floor collapsed and everyone fell into a pool of shit. Exactly. It was restored after German reunification and opened to the historic site. So if you're any German listeners out there, you got you to go to Erfurt and ask the guides, ask the docents uh, as persistently as you can about the time that the floor collapsed into the latrine. Excuse me, so back to the latrine disasters. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's much more history at this place. Where is the latrine now? <laughs> Before well, I use the restroom, where is this going to go when I flush? <laughs> they should be thanking us because tourism is going to be boosted in Erfurt after this movie's made. Oh, yeah. For sure. All right. Well, that's our movie. Uh, thanks again to Annie Rarida. Check out depthsofwikipedia.com and her pages on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all very entertainingly covering subject long and short from all over Wikipedia of just all the weird shit that's on that website. And there is a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> if you have any thoughts on collapsing latrines or ideas for other movies that need to get made, hit us up on Twitter at YMovie. You can find my column, Wiki Wormhole, on the AV Club every Sunday. And you can read student journalism, hear college radio, and listen to other lesser podcasts on our parent website, subjectmedia.org. Stay safe out there. Keep wearing a mask. Keep yourself sane. We'll be back next time on. Why, 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 why is this not a movie?